I'm now joined by Greg Hall, head of U.S. Global Wealth Management at PIMCO. Of course, PIMCO is one of the largest asset managers in the world with nearly $2 trillion in assets under management. And within the ETF space, they've continued to expand their lineup. They currently offer 22 ETFs with nearly $25 billion in assets. Greg, welcome to the uh, podcast. Hey, Nate. How you doing? Good morning. All right. So, look, a, a lot we're going to uh, cover today. And as I was thinking about this, I thought the best way might be to just take a step back because you're plugged into some of the largest wealth managers in this country. And so to start, I'd love to have you take us through some of the conversations that uh, you and your team are having, because my sense is uh, when investors think of PIMCO, they think fixed income, right, specifically actively managed fixed income. And, and we'll certainly get into that. But I'd love to have you take us through some of the conversations you're having with that as the uh, backdrop. So what are you hearing from clients right now? What's front yeah. of mind in terms of portfolio considerations? And, and perhaps you can explain your specific role as well. Uh, sure, 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 sure. And, and, and I should say we certainly hope uh, advisors and clients uh, think about us in terms of actively managed fixed income because that's where we we spend the predominance of our time. I manage the wealth distribution business uh, here in the U.S. Um, it's a it's the wholesaling operation for our mutual funds, our ETFs, and other products. And, and and as you mentioned, we spend a lot of time with the home offices of the major distribution platforms, uh, talking about their strategic priorities and how we can help them and help their clients and their advisor teams. Um, and I would say. You know, it's not even a contest in terms of the the question that is most prominent right now in in advisor conversations and even at the home office level, which is when and how do we uh, help our clients out of the cash balances they've accumulated over the last couple of years and into other instruments to make sure they're positioned for the next three to five years and not just the last couple of years we've all experienced. You know, it's so interesting because I, I do feel like that's one of the biggest points of debate and discussion right now. It's, it's all around money market funds where last year we saw, what, a, over a trillion dollars go into these vehicles. And I think that made a lot of sense because you could pretty much scoop up 5% plus yields risk-free, call it a day. You don't have to hassle with credit or duration risk. But to, to I think what you're saying, that might not be the most prudent approach moving forward, especially if rates end up coming back in. And so talk more about that. How, how are you and your team specifically thinking about that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. And I think the first thing to say is most, if not all, the advisors I've encountered are really sophisticated, practical people. And helping your clients move into cash, given the economic circumstances that we have experienced over the last couple of years, completely rational approach, right? It's, it's, it's really hard to argue with the logic that you just laid out, actually, more eloquently than probably I can. But now we're looking forward, and, you know, economic circumstances, you know, may be on the cusp of, of changing. Uh, they'll bump around on us a little bit, as we're seeing in markets in the early part of this year. Uh, but there's a pretty strong market consensus, and, and, you know, we think a baseline view 
as well that you know we're past the peak of inflation and and more likely to see fed easing in the coming years than than a repeat of what we've just experienced and if that's your base case then we think fixed income offers a huge amount of value for investors um Initial yields in the fixed income market tend to be the best indicator of your your long-term total return, um, and I think you know it's probably not controversial to say that starting yields right now in fixed income are as high as they've been in your or my investing history. Um, we don't think that the appeal of fixed income has to be completely predicated on a rate cut in March or May or June. Um, there's a lot of value in fixed income markets. You're getting paid to wait for that eventuality. Um, and, you know, with a broad view of fixed income markets, such as, you know, we have at PIMCO, there's lots of places to create alpha um, and to identify places um, in credit markets, on rate curves globally, uh, where you think there's strong relative value. So it's an exciting place, um, and we're, we're certainly having that conversation with advisors and and we're seeing uh flows into into fixed income managers we think generally pretty healthy even as we we continue to see flows into cash so the debate is ongoing um, but we've seen a little bit of a shift in attitude in recent months yeah and one of the things that i think is particularly interesting here and it, it creates both i think opportunities and challenges for advisors is if you go back five plus years, we all recall there, there were no yields uh, to, to be found, right? <laughs> trying to trying to find income and fixed income was near impossible. And so uh, for better or worse, that sent advisors looking in a, a number of other directions. But now with where yields are at, there are a lot of potential opportunities uh, across fixed income. But I think it comes down to your views clearly on on taking on duration risk, what you think about the, the economy and, and taking on, on credit risk. So th- this is a unique situation, I think, for advisors, but I think a positive one overall, because I think the average person would much rather be in this situation where there are at least uh, income opportunities versus what we saw uh, several years ago. Um, Greg, in I terms think, I mean, I go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's. It, I think you're right. It's a little bit of an embarrassment of riches, and I think that's why we advise, you know, our advisors that, that we speak to, you, you don't have to – it's not binary. You don't have to just jump into one end of the pool. You can explore opportunities that are a little step out from cash in the short-term market. You can move a little further out on the curve. And you also don't need to uh, seek for yield as aggressively as maybe you might have wanted to four or five years ago, um, you can actually find ways, and, and, and you know, if you spoke to some of my colleagues back, back at PIMCO, find ways to, to create terrific yield on a historically comparative basis, taking less risk. Um, so it's a, really, it's a really strong opportunity set. And, and like you said, if you're an advisor, you can kind of pick your spot um, and, and, and find good value for your clients in a bunch of different areas. In terms of specific ETF solutions that PIMCO offers, and, and you talk about picking your spot, there, there are a lot of opportunities within the PIMCO lineup to do that. But you do have one of the most popular actively managed fixed income ETFs in Mint, the uh, PIMCO Enhanced Short Maturity Active ETF, which has been out for uh, what, going on 15 years now. It's hard to believe. I, I feel old. But um, from my perch, Greg, it, it looks like PIMCO has been very – 
uh, methodical and strategic in how the ETF platform has been built. You haven't just launched products at the wall to see what sticks. And, and so I'd love to have you talk more about that approach and what the overriding strategy around your, your ETF lineup has been. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I think that that strategy is pretty typical of PIMCO, um, not just in the uh, in the ETF business. We, we try to be deliberate. Um, we try to have a product suite that meets our clients' needs. But, you know, if you're throwing spaghetti at the wall, you're you're distracting your your people and your managers and, and maybe distracting your clients. And so we try to be, like you said, pretty methodical about what we put out there. Um, you're absolutely right. The, the the ETF business for us has been around since I think about 2009, and uh, we were relatively early in, in the active fixed income ETF trend. Um, and we've just, I think, slowly and steadily built up that platform. Um, we have a combination of strategies that are more narrowly focused on a given asset class or a given duration profile. Um, we have some strategies that are broader in their scope um, that give us, you know, more ability to select from, you know, different parts of the market. Um, and, you know, as of today, I think you gave the statistics at the outset, but about $25 billion in 22 products. And we're, we're quite happy with the suite. I think, you know, we'll kind of continue to slowly and selectively grow from here, but, but no massive, uh, massive changes. I, I was looking the uh, this morning and I show over the past year or so, PIMCO has expanded the ETF platform by la launching um, a handful of new ETFs. So products such as PYLD, which is a multi-sector bond ETF, BILZ, B-I-L-Z, which is an ultra-short government bond ETF, and then uh, CMDT, which is a commodity strategy. Do you want to comment specifically on any or all of those? Because as I was looking at those products, I do feel like they sort of encapsulate how you're approaching the market. No, no, thanks for calling them out. And and you're right, we've, over the last 18 months, two years, we've rounded out the offerings a little bit. Um, PYLD, or P-Yield, um, as we uh, we sometimes refer to it. Um, Multi-sector credit, uh, it's um, it's managed by the same team, uh, our group CIO, Dan Iveson, and the team underneath him that, um, you know, run our multi-sector strategies more broadly. Um, it's able to select from, you know, global credit markets, and and it's got a design to create an attractive risk-adjusted yield for investors. We thought that was an important category um, to offer on the ETF front, um, and it's uh, as you mentioned, it's relatively new. I won't say it's at the other end of the spectrum because uh, uh, it's 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 not uh, uh, you know it's not that massively. Uh, uh, far away from, you know, on the duration spectrum, but BILZ is, is a, you know, very, very short-term cash alternative, and I think it's a good example of where opportunity meets client need, client demand, um, you know, given where short rates are, see some opportunities in the market to do, you know, a little bit better than the typical cash or cash alternative money market fund, um, and we're facing, you know, interest from our clients and in, in alternatives to those traditional strategies as well. Um, and so that product, you know, has um, has been going for, you know, uh, the balance of, of last year and into this year. Um, you mentioned CMDT on the commodity side. Um, I think a pretty good example of what I mentioned earlier of, 
you know, some of our clients want much more broadly oriented strategies. Some of our clients want products that fit more narrowly into a specific asset class or strategy or category. Um, and that's an example of, of the latter where we still think we can, you know, add considerable value. Uh, but clients that, that are interested in that product know that it will be playing in a certain sandbox, if you will. Greg, I alluded to this uh, at the top, but I want to come back and specifically discuss actively managed bond ETFs, because I've got to tell you, boy, this was one of the hottest topics down in Miami last week at the uh, annual exchange conference. I, I truly felt like active fixed income ETFs were the conference darlings this year. And I, I think there are several reasons for that. I think certainly the shifting market environment that we were discussing earlier. Um, I also think this might be where the most white space exists within ETFs, the most opportunity for issuers. But I, I would love to have you explain why active, why should investors and advisors at least consider moving away from a, a, a passive approach in fixed income? Yeah, I think it's it's great to frame this as fixed income because it's it's not ETFs or mutual funds. It's active versus passive in fixed income markets, and then we can we can put that approach into a mutual fund vehicle, an ETF vehicle, an SMA vehicle. But the the crux of the decision I think an advisor has to make once they've decided that they believe there's value in fixed income and that deserves to be a bigger part of their clients' portfolios is do I believe that I can do better with active than passive? Now, we are fervent believers that in fixed income, active is the better way to go. Um, historically, we think stats you know, support that, um, even, even in the bigger and even more so in the bigger categories. Um, and there's structural reasons why that's the case. Um, it, it's interesting, most owners of bonds worldwide are what you'd maybe characterize as uneconomic. They have motivations for holding those positions that are not total return oriented. They might be central banks, insurance companies, um, U.S. banks and European commercial banks, um, and their motives are just simply different than yours or might be in generating return by owning a bond. Um, a simple thing that I think is interesting about fixed income markets is the turnover. Bonds mature. 20% of the market on average rolls over each year, which creates opportunities to do new things and create alpha. Um, a company may have one stock, but have dozens, hundreds of QCIPs of different bonds. And so your ability to select where you want to be in that capital structure, where you want to be on the curve, is just that much more. And so for all those reasons, we think that you can generate more attractive returns with an active strategy and fixed income. And then... Um, we place those strategies in a mutual fund wrapper, in an ETF wrapper, and that's really about what clients want to consume and how they want to consume it. But our, our basic confidence in active versus passive uh, remains completely unchanged, whether we're in a mutual fund context or an ETF context. Is there a case to be made that because we are in a different market regime, now than we were, as we were, again, talking about five-plus years ago, that this is a better environment for active? Does the market regime um, help make the case for active, or is active something that is always potentially valuable? Well, I think <laughs> I'm biased, but we think it's always valuable relative to a, a passive alternative. 
when rates are higher as a starting condition, we think that that amplifies the ability to generate alpha on top of the base rate for sure. And I think that's probably what you're alluding to. And then I think we are in a somewhat volatile and uncertain environment. Um, and you, you, you can see that just in the, the headlines on Bloomberg this morning and the debate that's going on in markets about Fed direction. Um, you've seen some decoupling globally, economically, and in rate markets. And those all create interesting opportunities for active management. So we're excited about that. And I guess the one thing I would note is um, we have seen some popularity in passive strategies and fixed income. There's, there's no denying that. Um, but it, we always emphasize a, a nimble and, and very resilient approach to investing in fixed income. And we've noticed uh, you know, some use of the passive alternatives to, say, make a big call on duration or a big call on credit. And volatile markets tend to frustrate that kind of approach. So we would encourage advisors, we'd encourage their clients um, to look at active strategies that can be very flexible, very nimble, navigate through choppy waters and still come out to a good outcome on the other side. As I was looking through your ETF lineup, one thing that I found interesting is that PIMCO does actually offer several index-based ETFs on both the, the equity and the fixed income side. But if we stay on the fixed income side, how do you sort of uh, reconcile that with everything we just discussed regarding active management? Yeah, we, we, we do. It's about 20% of the overall $25 billion you cited that, that falls into you know more narrowly defined um, index category. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 uh, it has a lot to do with client demand. You know, I mentioned that we have some strategies that are relatively higher discretion, some strategies that are more narrowly focused, and these would be the most narrowly focused amongst those strategies. We still try to use the PIMCO process and the, um, and the PIMCO platform to add value, um, but in a little bit more of a constrained format. Um, and we recognize there are investors out there who prefer to do uh, some of the asset allocation and sector decision-making on their own, and, and we serve that market. It's not a big part of the ETF business. It's certainly not a big part of PIMCO's overall business, but uh, it, it is there. Greg, just about two minutes left. Uh, before I let you go, I mentioned at the top, PIMCO is a nearly $2 trillion asset manager. You clearly have brand recognition. I, I feel like just about every investor and advisor are at least aware of who you are. Uh, you, you obviously have in-house expertise in terms of uh, investment capabilities. There's no question about that. So so given all that, what's next in the ETF space? Because, again, from my standpoint, it seems like you have a lot of potential upside here. I appreciate you saying that. that that's It's nice of you to point out. I, I believe all those things about PIMCO, but it's, it's obviously it's great to hear from somebody who observes the markets the way that you do and, and, and talks to a lot of terrific people. I've been listening to your podcast and, and uh, just just really impressed with the, the people you've had on and the commentary. I, I wish I had some flashy answer for you, but I think we're just going to continue on the path that we've been on, um, which is slowly and steadily building out the portfolio of products, really you know, paying a lot of attention to the products that we have in the market, 
making sure that, um, you know, I know the portfolio managers at PINCO are, are super focused on generating the performance that they expect of themselves and our, our clients expect of us. Um, I'm focused on making sure they're well-serviced, that they're well-supported in the marketplace, uh, that people know about them, to, you know, to your point earlier. And then on the margin, um, you know, we won't be static. We'll be adding product, but I wouldn't expect it to be um, huge amounts and, and, and big flashy things. We're going to take a more incremental approach to it, make sure that each product that comes off of our platform um, benefits both from a, solving a real client need and having a terrific market opportunity behind it. Well, Greg, best of luck uh, continuing down that path moving forward. Really enjoyed connecting this week. Excellent insight. Thank you for joining me. Nate, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. That was Greg Hall, head of U.S. Global Wealth Management at PIMPCO.